The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. That's the story of hip hop. In, in U.S. culture today, in global culture, I don't know if anybody imagined that. Uh, <laughs> August 11th, 1973. The way I appreciate Herc's innovation is that it's all about making space. And it was space for, it was his expression, but it was also space for other people to be autonomous and to express themselves. And by extending the breaks, he's an early figure in the information age there. Merry-go-rounding on that break. They've got more space for their, for their dancing that the B-boys and B-girls fill. The MCs would often uh, just do a few lines to engage uh, the crowd. Herc extends the breaks. The MCs better come up with more to say, right? And it's at home, right? Hip-hop starts in a, in a home environment. It's out of humble beginnings with a lot of effort put into creating safety, positivity, and love. Vete conmigo, amigo, hablar y caminar, porque el camino se hace al andar. Vete conmigo, amigo, hablar y caminar, porque el camino se hace al andar. Okay, hola, Jen. Yo, what is up, my friend? All right, man, I'm good, I'm good. Marcos, a.k.a. Marcos de Jesus de la Guagua, aquí con mi amigo Jim. And this is our show and tell podcast where we reflect on things that uh, inspire us and the path as creative folk. Se hace el camino al andar. That's where the title comes from. You make the path by what, Jim? By walking. Si, senor. Así es el asunto. So I'd like to talk with you about hip-hop's 50th anniversary from a Bronx-centric lens. All right. What's the what's the Bronxology of 50 years of hip hop? Well, the Bronx is where it was uh, created, though. Yeah, absolutely. And and so there's probably a lot um, there's a lot there, but mostly um, in my writing, I've reflected on the birth of hip hop on the specific uh, kind of shift that happened, um, especially on August, the evening of August 11th, 1973 at 1520 Cedric Avenue in the hybrid section of the Bronx. And um, yeah, so that's that's really what I want to focus on. Not necessarily the whole 50 years, right? But <laughs> <laughs> especially especially that first night. Why did it happen where it did what is that what is that all what does all that mean very cool yeah Weba. 
All right, man. So one of the ways that I I started thinking about this was in response to this uh, Macklemore song, White Privilege. But the, the course in particular struck me as uh, kind of odd. And it's something like hip hop started off in a block that I've never even been to to counteract a struggle that I've never even been through. Mm-hmm. All right. So the second one is kind of the main thing that he's wrestling with in the song, right? But as as I as I ref- reflected on it, I found myself ah uh, kind of pushing back against some of the assumptions that he's he's making. Um, he kind of assumes um, that this struggle is incomprehensible, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think when people say, oh, I can't imagine uh, what you're going through when they speak to somebody's trauma, mm-hmm. well, why don't you try? <laughs> okay. You know, <laughs> maybe ask some clarifying questions and say maybe you're at this point he was already financially successful hip hop artist, right? Why not uh take a trip <laughs> and visit this block, right? In my song Someday I responded to Macklemore. All right, my narrator responded to Macklemore's narrator. Um, it's not us fighting, it's our avatars. And I'm a vegetarian, so I don't beef. <laughs> okay. He's kind of assuming uh, that that there's this uh, toughness, right, that he, he doesn't dir- directly or he can't comprehend or something in rap, right? Mm-hmm. So... Can hip-hop be cheerful? Can rappers be gay? Or does it have to be hard because it's starting a block that Macklemore said he had not been to? But I hope by now he's come through. It ain't that hard to get to. 1520 Cedric Avenue. I'll take you. And Macklemore, you can meet me in the Bronx and we'll stop by Harlem, birthplace of beatbox. Does sightseeing have meaning? What are relationships made of? Macklemore in a narrative voice. I mean, like... Made up. I think that's his right, a valid artistic choice, but I'm not so impressed with how art adorns you. I'm interested to know if art has transformed you. If you don't thirst for change, then my art ain't for you. In that response to Macklemore, I imagine bringing him and the audience to visit 1520 Cedric Avenue, right? On that block uh, where hip hop started out. And then I suggest, oh, we should also go to Harlem and birthplace of beatbox. And and then I also do raise this question, right? What um, d- does sightseeing have meaning? What are relationships made of? So... I don't say that it like would completely transform 
the inequalities in our society. It wouldn't change anybody's social position, really. But yeah, let's imagine what other people go through. Let's let's visit these places that are important, that we honor as being important in ways that are like respectful. And let's let's see what we can learn. And a uh, way that I've elaborated on that creatively is in this verse from my recent demo of my song, Meet Me in the Bronx. Birthplace of hip hop, bringing it back to a practice preceding this gangster attack and the role of backtracks for strip club acts to a project of peace from before all that back to cindy's birthday party and boogie down nights mom and dad present and mike with the lights to the 70s lutheran church basement parties bobby providing security thank god there wasn't no fights our cultures deserve spaces as fine as we are but we've rebuilt with less space than we had before i'm angry but that won't do god's work shout to founders flash bombada and the father cool herc your baby's turning 40 50 wow god is at work the bronx's birthplace of american dreams we don't need fancy venues the people make the scene happy birthday hip-hop let's lift every voice and sing come on and meet me in the bronx in the boogie down bronx won't you meet me in the bronx in the boogie It's it has a really um, a cool um, uh, kind of march kind of quality to it, um, uh, and there's um, this a fight or struggle about like what is hip hop and trying to like is it representational and uh and and if it is representational like who's it representing and um you know my understanding is that for a while um you know what sold uh i think during the 90s was like you know like gangster rap and um um I don't know. I mean, I just remember it kind of being big around that time. Uh, and, uh, you know, going back to, what's his name? Macklemore. Um, there's, there are certain people who are left out from that story, if, if that's the story that is told. Um, so, um, and then you added some really cool personal elements um, to that about um, about your upbringing and, and what it meant to you. Um, so, uh, yeah, I thought that was that was cool. Um, what, yeah, what else? What else is there um, in that story? Like, what is that verse? Uh, 
mean to you? Well, yeah, man. Um, representation. That's a that's a great that's a great question. Because like, just because it has violence, just because uh, there's profanity, just because there's sex, doesn't just because there's aggression. Does that have to be the test of of realness? You know. Um, so let's tackle that specifically by looking at uh, looking at the verse uh, one stanza at a time. Birthplace of hip hop now bringing it back to a practice predating the strip club backing track trap and the corporate gangster attack to the project of peace which preceded that. So I'm talking about three specific historical contexts, moments maybe in in the development of hip hop. And I to put them in the in the historical order, I'm contrasting this association between the emergence of hip hop culture and efforts to achieve either literal um, sustained truces in conflict, in street conflict, in social conflict in the South Bronx, um, or at least create like spaces of peace, you know, the way early rappers would like shout peace at the end of a rap song. I feel like that was like a declaration, you know, it's like a declaration of a peace. This is a within, if you're within the sound of my voice, peace. And I'm, I'm contrasting that with, yeah, that nineties moment where lots of music industry resources were backing a kind of hip hop that portrayed a lot of violence and a lot of misogyny and at times didn't have any clear social critique like early hip hop heads often had. Um, especially in songs like The Message. And and then the third beat there is um something I'm I'm yo, know, I'm not trying to seem um innocent, but I honestly have never been to a strip club. Um so this is all just reportedly. Um, you know, uh reportedly according to uh Cardi B. <laughs> And and others, you know, trap music became very much like the soundtrack of of strip club acts, you know. Um, so that's an arc. <laughs> that's that's a journey um, that I'm that I'm. This is how I'm sort of initially framing it, right? So these are the things that it's. Uh, become, I want to remind y'all, 
of this project of peace that that it started with. That that's interesting to hear. I I I am fascinated by the origin of of hip hop and and it's a uh, it's a beautiful form of of music. You know, I think because it's it's um, it's sort of like a poetry, and I think that there's a lot of skill mm. involved. Um, and that there is there is some you know a truth to it. I mean, we were talking about you know gangster rap, and so there's an element of of this type of music that's very um, valuable. Could you talk more about like this project of peace that um, that existed? Um, like, what do you mean? And and can you give some examples? And and why was that so powerful for you? Yeah, well, it's really powerful for me because it very, you know, directly related to what I was worried about, what I was scared of, and what I found hope from as a child living in not the Bronx, but living in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, inner city when this is such a weird expression, but Milwaukee was the murder capital of the United States, right? It had the highest murder rate. And I loved hip hop. And as I say in my song, Freedom and Jazz from my first album, Code Switching, my love affair with hip hop took a pit stop, almost flip-flop when this gangster-ish started to drop or when this misogyny started to drop. Before that, I loved old school soul and jazz and I could always feel the freedom in jazz. You know, uh, I, my parents wouldn't let me listen to anything that was laden with a lot of misogyny, a lot of the N-word, a lot of violence. But I pretty quickly decided, like, no, nah, that's too much like the block. I'm not, you know, that's the block on a bad day. I'm not. I pretty quickly decided I wasn't, didn't, that I didn't get free from that. I didn't feel free from that, you know. And my father inserted into this dialogue his experience of the seventies in the South Bronx. And that's the project of peace. You know, the, the way I was first made aware of it, this sense that the, this growing youth culture was a challenge, was an alternative to the, limited options that youth found themselves with in the South Bronx in the 70s. And so a very dramatic example of that is Africa and Bambada. So there are kind of three founding figures um, from the South Bronx in the 70s. One of them is Clive Campbell, a.k.a. Cool Hercules. Hercules, because he's a big muscular guy, better known as DJ 
Cool Herc, right? So that's the dude who's DJing at that August 11th, 1973 party where he reportedly debuts this technique of merry-go-rounding, allowing him to extend the breaks. So he's one of, he's the founding father. Then there's African Bombada, who was kind of a most significant as like a, a social leader. And then Grandmaster Flash. There are lots of others you, you could mention, but Grandmaster Flash being and the Furious Five being the first kind of super group to come out of the Bronx and Grandmaster Flash just mastered. There are tech DJs that came up with different techniques that came together to form the art of turntablism and Grandmaster Flash being one of the first masters of all of them, you know? So those, those are the three founding figures that, that are often discussed that I learned about first from, uh, I sort of heard stories about it through through Bobby and others, but the first time I got to read about it was through uh, Can't Stop, Won't Stop, which is a history of, of hip-hop. So, um, all right, so the project of peace very um, dramatically was the way that African Bombada transformed what had been a street gang uh, the Black Spades, into the universal Zulu nation. So a convening of young people with a commitment to nonviolence around hip-hop culture. You know, that that was one dramatic expression of the project of peace. But but more broadly, I, I think it, it was, um, yeah, I mean, every time somebody said peace, you know, they were participating in it. And, and I, and I think those sort of spaces start, they had antecedents in the church. They had antecedents in Islam, right? You know, that's a culture where you, where your hello and goodbye is a declaration of peace. It began this this project of peace pretty clearly. You can see it on August 11th, 1973, at, at Cool Herc's first party. Yeah, I think I share a lot of your frustration in that. There are a few frustrations, right? One of them is that uh, it seems like the top rappers have are, are extremely successful um, without often having much uh, substance. Yeah. Um, and uh, as an artist, um, I find that obviously frustrating. Um, I, I think it's I forget who said it, I think various people have said that, 
you know, it's like nowadays people want like a good beat and they don't really care what's being said on the song. Um, there's a funny Chris Rock bit about that, uh, one of his older specials. Um, and uh, so that that's one frustration. The, the, uh, the, so it's lack of substance sometimes, but then it's sometimes the substance that's in there um, is uh, just, I, I, I happen to just not agree with a lot of it. I, I would agree with you that there's, there is misogyny there. Uh, what bothers me more than that is the materialism. Um, mm. It's so gross. Um, it's so in your face. Um, yeah. Yeah. Y- you know, it's, it's the money makes me better than you. And, uh, yeah. you know, um, and the, you know, tying, uh, worth as a person to the possessions that you have. And, um, that has been probably my biggest gripe with, with, with modern day hip hop, but it's also the opportunity cost. It's like, guys, you have tremendous influence to shape the culture, to shape the lives of young people. And you're Mm -hmm. wasting it on garbage on, on talking about how much money Mm -hmm. you have and how cool you are. And, and, um, and how you'll steal somebody's girlfriend or like, you know, as if that's a girlfriend worth having. Um, and, um, and, uh, you know, I, I like rappers like, um, logic who often, uh, will, um, will preach, uh, what does he preach? Um, uh, Peace, love, and positivity. Um, you know, yep. songs like uh, "Everybody," um, and that's when I started to get into hip hop, into into contemporary hip hop. When I first heard that song, um, because um, well, I grew up in the Bronx, so I, I listened to 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 quite a bit of hip hop in in the '90s, but um, but I stopped for a while. I think because of these sorts of concerns. I think we both are are familiar with the idea of like honor cultures and mm-hmm. how yes. um, part of the reason why you have to appear tough if you're from the inner city, it's like it, it's a way of protecting yourself from other people taking advantage of you. I've been reading about this recently in um, Steven Pinker's uh uh, better angels of our, of our nature. But part of what is explained in the book is, is this idea of honor cultures and how um, in the inner city, um, uh, cops have often acted either heavy-handedly or with sort of um, indifference. And that means that in, in the inner city, uh, black and brown folk have had to kind of solve their own problems. Um, and this, uh, creates, I think a lot of the, uh, the things that, 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 um, sort of the gangster rap was famous for, um, the, the like you had to solve problems on your own mm-hmm. and 
that meant you had to instill a culture of honor um, to make sure that you know your family um, was protected. Um, so I, I get all that, but I think that um, you know I. I in many ways, I think the the rap in the in the '90s was was more honest, and it just it feels dishonest. A lot of the contemporary stuff, and uh, and and cheap. You know, it feels like, um, you know, this is what you're supposed to say, and this is what makes money, and this is what's been done before. Um, so yeah, I those are my gripes with modern day hip hop. What yeah, about yours? Yeah, no, I hear you. Well, so I've been letting my phone read to me <laughs> i should admit i haven't really been reading it but <laughs> i've been listening to the dawn of everything a new history of humanity by david graber and david wengro very rigorous rigorously looking at uh, a generation's worth of of new findings that they argue haven't really percolated up into mainstream consciousness from evidence-based archaeology and anthropology that suggest that there are more possibilities, that people have more agency. What we know is, yeah, man, what you're describing, I think that's very real. And to not fall into that circumstance of, of a defensively materialistic violent, dominance-focused, misogynistic honor culture, you need to build some other kind of culture. You need to do that intentionally, you know? It doesn't seem like commercial interests have any reason to prefer that, right, to support that in hip-hop. But we... Yeah, right. Right at the birth, I think you can see it. So let's let's go, um, let's go back to the the verse and back to Cindy's. The next stanza says, "Back to Cindy's birthday party and boogie down nights. Mom and dad present and Mike with the lights." So hip hop, uh, hip hop heads love to like celebrate the creativity of the founders, the resiliency of the founders. And we say things like hip hop was making something out of nothing, but that's, that's hyperbole, right? It's not literally true. Hip hop uh, starts as this real, it's making uh, something out of out of out of something right and and this the context is very specific so cindy uh promoted this party uh for her birthday basically to raise money so she can get something for her birthday her brother cindy campbell that is her brother's djing they make flyers they invite people and it's not gangster <laughs> you know um their mom and dad are in the room. They're in the rec room of of their their building, you know, and they'd been burned out of residences in the South Bronx. Then they'd lived in a temporary in in the midst of the arson, 
epidemic in the Bronx in the 70s. Then they'd lived in a, in a hotel on the uh, Concourse Plaza for a while, and then they found permanent housing at 1520 Cedric Avenue, which was a building that was built to be affordable uh, for people of limited means, and it was built to be beautiful for people of limited means. You know, it had a rec room. It had those basic resources and mom and dad were there and Mike with the lights, I just think is so, I think it's awesome. And just a cool illustration of how, um, we are cool when we, when we decide we're cool, when we, you know, uh, bring joy to whatever we're doing. So, uh, Mike was a friend of, of Clive's who was taking money at the door and they didn't have a strobe light. So for an extra effect, in addition to Herc's DJing and Coke LaRock's rhymes, Herc would shout, Mike with the lights, and Mike would flip the light switch up and down. So they had a little light effect, too. So the lights would go on and off. I mean, so it's that, it's that, it's at home, right? Hip hop starts in a, in a home environment. There's not, you know, it's not out of nothing, but it is, it is, it's out of a, an environment. It's out of humble beginnings and beginnings with a lot of effort put into creating safety and positivity and love and um cost saving lighting <laughs> yes <were> so <laughs> yeah yeah frugal as well <laughs> yeah <laughs> so uh the next uh stanza to the 70s lutheran church basement parties poppy providing security and in that draft, I said, thank God there wasn't no fights. And I watched it with my father and he was like, oh, there were fights. <laughs> but, you know, my father's not a big guy, so I can't quite imagine how he would break up fights. But what what he what that talks about is, you know, um, my father was a like youth worker, community organizer working with uh, St. Peter's Lutheran Church and Transfiguración Iglesia Evangelica Luterana. St. Peter's in particular, you know, they're like, oh, they're um, borrowing power from the streetlights so they can have park parties. Let's invite the young, let's invite a DJ, you know, to do parties in our church basement here. And... Yeah. And and that's just another illustration of like, we can, we don't need fancy, uh, nothing, right? Mike with the lights is awesome in my book, in my book, uh, a church basement is a great space for, for a party. Um, but we do need space, you know? Um, and it was, yeah. And, and I remember my father, you know, he was older than, than those, uh, than those young people. He was, uh, in his thirties, you know, at the time, but he loved them. 
you know, and they, they knew they were loved. His job was to wear a beret and look mean. (laughs) That was his whole security providing strategy, you know, but it was, it was, uh, it was a toughness that was, uh, secondary to this, to this welcome, you know? Yeah. That honor culture, it's there in the background. Right. Um, but he thought of, he was one person in the church and the people he worked with trying to offer spaces that could offer spaces for that peace culture too. Well, it kind of, it reminds me of the poetry cafes at uh, the writing center at Bronx Community College. But what stands out to you from there that, that connects to what you're talking about? Well, there, there's a sense that like, uh, I think the Keras one, yeah, the Keras one line, just do the main line, the Bronx keeps creating it. You know, there's this great sense of creativity from black and Latine African diaspora communities out of the Bronx, you know, that we find that I think you can still find. And it's just looking for spaces, looking for safe spaces, you know. But yeah, at, at BCC, it's uh, it's like you say, it's it's very. Um, it's. Uh, it's diverse, it's welcoming, um, it's it's lively and. Um, and. Yeah, I feel like there's a um, uh, like a lot of that culture, it's honor cultures or sort of the 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 roots of cultural origins in uh, in 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 the new world. Uh, these mm-hmm. different narratives. Um, they they're often um uh, portrayed and um and so yeah you feel you feel sort of like you're in a uh in some a special part of the universe where like all these cultures are kind of coming together not unlike you know the caribbean you know yeah yeah where, yeah. where we kind of just come together. Um, yeah. Yeah, man, there's a lot there. It's like, um, you don't need, you don't need a violent honor culture. If you know, your culture is being honored. Yeah. So we're going to look at more of your, more of the, the words. So I think I'll just, I'll just, uh, tackle the last, the last section, right? So our cultures deserve spaces as fine as we are, but we've rebuilt with less space than we had before. Rawr, I'm angry, but that won't do God's work. Shouts to founders Flash Bombada and the father Cool Herc. Your baby's turning 50. Ooh, God is at work. The BX is up. 
we are enough. We don't need fancy venues. The people make the scene. The Bronx, birthplace of American dreams. Happy birthday, hip hop. Let's lift every voice and sing. Meet me in the Bronx. Mm. What do you mean when you say we've rebuilt with less space than our art had before? Yeah. So here's the 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 paradox. The Bronx is a a birthplace of American dreams and it is the or it is certainly a place where the urban crisis of the 70s and 80s has been dramatically uh, recovered from, you know, but the, the recovery was, is, is in this context, in this kind of responding to neoliberalism context where there's just so little space for cultural expression. Right. So um, reportedly the South Bronx, I heard this from a tour guide. I don't have another source myself, but reportedly the South Bronx below about 163rd Street had over 100 live music venues in the 60s. Hmm. We lost almost all of those in the next decade, you know, um, in the in the arson epidemic in the era of of vulture capitalism and disinvestment and lots of buildings burned down right so those buildings were rebuilt but they were rebuilt with very few culturally specific spaces are you saying Starbucks is not culturally significant. <laughs> uh, Starbucks is, but not Dunkin'. That's oh, okay. That's my claim. Now, well, yeah, <laughs> Dunkin's chain chain places, um, and then also just kind of cookie cutter, not for profit spaces, right? Community centers that don't actually give you a sense of the specific character of the community. You know, community centers that don't feel cool. Right. Like young people have to be able to, like, make it feel cool, you know, um, uh, make it feel like they own it. Um, yeah. Majora Carter's critique in, in her book um, is in her most recent book is is all about the uh, not for profit industrial complex only supporting this poverty level economic maintenance sort of economic development. And yeah, so that lets in corporate chain um, stores and that lets in not-for-profit clinics and community centers and certain kinds of single-use housing Um but very few places, very few cultural spaces. 
certainly dramatically uh, contrasting with um, perhaps 100 live music venues just in the South Bronx in the 60s and before. Yeah, and you also say, um, you say, Roar, I'm angry, but that won't do God's work. Shouts to Founders slash Bambata and the Father Cole Herc. Your baby's turning 50. Ooh, God is at work. Um, what do you mean by that? Uh, like, how is hip-hop doing, mm. this version of hip-hop doing God's work? Um, mm. What does mm. that mean to you? Why yeah. Why is that significant? Well, you know, it's uh, a Bible phrase. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. That's the story of hip hop in in U.S. culture today, in global culture. I don't know if anybody imagined that. Uh, August eleventh, nineteen seventy three. But and and you know, actually, I think I'd I'd wrap with this. Yeah, shouts to Cool Herc, because what. The way I appreciate Herc's innovation is that it's all about making space. And it was space for, it was his expression, but it was also space for other people to be autonomous and to express themselves, to have their own swag, their own individuality. And to to share it with the community, because, right, like merry-go-rounding is just that he takes uh, there's this observation that that people will dance the most to certain instrumental breaks in the songs leading to the term break dancing. And Herc connects uses this t- technique that that disco DJs were already using to allow the music to play continuously, right? So they have two record players connected to their sound system, a sound system which he uh, borrowed from his father, if, if memory serves. But his innovation was that he had two copies of the same record. I think it was a James Brown record on August 11th, 1973. And... When the break came on, he had he had both of them queued up to like the hottest break that would make the people want to dance the most. And when the break came on one of the records, he would switch. uh, He would play it on that record till it ended. And then he would switch. To the sound coming out of the other record playing the break again. All right. So today this, if you're doing that with a record, that's hard. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. difficult, right? What he's doing as a, is an early figure in the information age there creating this space culturally by transforming these single use discs that are only supposed to play in one direction into something uh, more like random access memory, right? He's 
choosing he's he's playing the records right like like uh like uh like a score you know um and and by extending the breaks he creates this new space that the other people around him can fill right so if the if the dancers were most passionate dancing during the breaks the breaks used to just last a few bars they didn't have very much space right they had eight or ten seconds right so he extends the breaks they've got you know 60 seconds to elaborate on that on that break they've got more space for their for their dancing that the b-boys and b-girls fill the MCs would often uh, just do a few lines to engage uh, the crowd, you know, throw your hands in the air, wave them like you just don't care, right? Over the instrumental parts of the song, Herc extends the breaks. The MCs better come up with more to say, right? They've, they've, got, they've got more time. So not only um, did hip hop start out literally August 11th, 1973 in this affordable housing, um, with a rec room. Not only did it start in this real social space, it was about creating, um, musical space, right? Cultural space. It's a, it's a remarkable beginning and I celebrate that at the same time as I roar, <laughs> I'm angry, uh, but that won't do God's work. I, I do think, I do think those kinds of rap spaces, those kinds of hip hop spaces, those are authentic rap spaces, right? Hip hop spaces, the church basement, uh, the rec room. I also think that we need that our culture more generally that we need more than that. Right. And we should be able to have club spaces that feel just as safe. You know, we should be able to have, um, concert spaces that are just as affordable, frankly, you know, and corporate neoliberal, very consolidated ticket master dominated culture has not honored hip hop as it, as it deserves to be honored. And I'm mad about that, but I'm also, but I'm in the struggle. I think it's worth the struggle. Well, I certainly hope that you uh, that that uh, that it works out. Because, uh, <laughs> I think uh, I, I I don't know how many more songs I can tolerate. About, <laughs> about uh, how much money some dude has. <laughs> Thank you, brother. I thought you were you were you were gonna say how many more songs I can tolerate about you 
telling people to meet you in the Bronx. <laughs> no, that's a welcome <laughs> relief. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, generally, I feel uplifted when I hear uh, your songs. Um, you're very candid and and um, and humble in your music, and so you know you talk about different things and um, how you gotta get. Organized, organized, <laughs> yeah, wow, wow. Uh, and uh, and 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 different things. Um, and it, yeah, I think if 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 more music was uh, less afraid, as it seems to me, uh, to not you know um, color inside the lines. Uh, I think um, I think we would all be better off because I think you agree with me that an artist, you know, at their best um, helps to shape the culture, and um, and in that sense, we're we're kind of um, a role model or um, a thought leader in a way, um, and. Uh, and I think especially if you have a lot, if you have a significant following, um, it's a role you should take seriously. Yeah. Amen to that. Indeed, humans do have agency, and it's shifting ideas um, of people that precede um, action, that, that precede, that have to precede um, action, and um, cost-saving lighting. <laughs> <laughs>